When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Manis, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague on this Monday morning, Tim Legler. Legs, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Big, big day, big day. Got a lot of, obviously, it's a momentous day for the league every single year, honoring Martin Luther King Jr., so a full slate starting with afternoon games on on yeah. Monday, so it's a little different for the players. Uh Iowa caucuses tonight. We got politics going on. We got all kinds of stuff going on, man. Crazy weather all over the country. It's it's a big day for sure. I don't think we're going to be doing much on the weather or the caucuses today, but we are talking about the slate of games. So both from the weekend and obviously for today, we're going to do a deep dive on the Clippers and the Wolves, as well as the Kings and the Bucks. Those are the two big games yesterday that were happening. We had some news over the weekend we'll get into. And then since we're at the halfway mark, almost exactly the halfway mark of the season, We're going to talk about some bold statements that we can make right now that we maybe couldn't have made at the start of the year. But first, we are presented, as always, by DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, You guys, check out what they have to offer right now with promo code ALLNBA. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Legs, a couple notes from over the weekend. The first one I have for you, there was a trade in the NBA and it was amongst two of the worst teams in all of the NBA. There it is on the, street, the screen. The Pistons get Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, some much-needed shooting for a team that had no floor spacing and shooting. The Wizards receive Mar- Marvin Bagley III, Isaiah Livers, and two second-round picks in the upcoming drafts, not this year, but 2025 and 2026. All right, so I found this trade somewhat interesting because they're two of the worst teams in the NBA, and they're going with two different strategies. The Pistons, who are in danger of having the worst record of all time, they need to get up to that nine, at least nine wins this season to tie, which means they need to get six wins, twice as many as they got in the first half. They have to get that in the second half. So they add Muscala, who can shoot, and Danilo Gallinari, who used to be able to shoot, although hasn't much, and I think they're just hoping that that gives them a little bit more spacing. So, again, I, they don't have any hopes of anything long-term. You clear up your books a little bit. Those are both expiring contracts. But this year, they want to get to 9 or 10 wins. Is that enough to do it, Muscala and Gallinari? Yeah, it's funny. When you first started um, this segment and you said you found this trade pretty interesting or a little bit interesting, I believe is what you said. <laughs> and I would say that is a little bit more than I found it interesting. I will tell you that. Like, I'll say, like, I don't think, I don't know that it would have been possible 
to come up with a trade that actually occurred that I think would be like less impactful on anything than this trade. Um, wow. You know, Marvin, okay. Bagley, Marvin Bagley is it's just a fascinating guy because I don't know how you felt about Marvin Bagley coming out um, and into the draft. I thought Marvin Bagley was a guy that was going to be, you know, a, a 20 and 10 type of guy in the league. Mm. I really did. With his length, his athleticism, he's got a soft touch. He just seemed like a prototypical modern day four that could run, pick and pop. He can shoot the ball a little bit. It's hard to believe this is his seventh year in the NBA. Seventh year, because I say that because, you know, I know it wasn't going to happen right away, but you'd think by like year three, four, well, guess what? We're three, four years past year three, four, and it's his, his career is actually regressing. Right. In the first year he got to Detroit, he actually played decent that year in his first real opportunity because he never really got that in Sacramento. He got a real opportunity in Detroit um, to make it happen, and he averaged 14 points a game that first year in Detroit. His, his scoring averages dropped each of the subsequent two years that he's been there. And I just don't know what the reason is, um, but yeah. it, it's not going to happen for Marvin, Marvin Hagley that he's, uh, he's going to be uh, the player that we thought he was going to be. So this is just like another landing spot for him. There's obviously a ton of opportunity in going there. There's there's minutes to be had in Washington, and I just don't know what difference that makes. Now, from your from your perspective, the, from the Detroit side, like right. they're adding some pieces maybe that fit a little bit better with what they want to do with spacing and shooting. But I just again, I I just I think there were people earlier this year that were surprised that Daniel Gallinari was still in the league. Like people had forgotten right, that he was right. even in the NBA at this point. Um, so I just don't I don't know that this really does much for either team. Maybe, you know, the picks turn into something that Washington's getting. But again, they're second rounders. I, I, I just don't know. At the end of the day, will we be looking at this at the end of the season and saying this legitimately helped either team? I'm not sure we will. The only reason I find it interesting is because the Detroit Pistons did not care about tanking this year. They knew they were going to be bad. They knew they were going to be one of the four worst teams. They're going to have a good shot at the number one pick. But three wins, that's what gets you fired. If you set records for being bad, that's what gets you fired. So that's the only reason I found this interesting is, one, if you're the Detroit Pistons, all right, the Wizards side of it real quick. They get two second rounders. You're right, it's not much. But they're giving away guys that they don't care about. So they're just – we picked up a couple – Shots in the dark and second rounders as they start their rebuild in earnest. Whereas Detroit is looking at this saying, we need to see if Cade Cunningham is as good as we hoped he would be. And the only way to do that is to give him more spacing. And then on top of that, we have to get up to nine or 10 wins. If we get seven wins this year, everybody's fired. You know, you might have then some, you're not there to get to see the rebuild that you set out to do. So I think that this was a desperation move to just try to grab a couple extra wins for Detroit. And I look at it and I go, Danilo Gallinari used to be a good three-point shooter, just like he used to be a yeah. good basketball player. I think the injuries have zapped that from him, and I don't know that he gives you anything. Uh, but Mike Muscala maybe allows you to play some of your other bigs that are remaining. They're Wiseman, Beef Stew, you know, my guy, uh, Isaiah Stewart. You might be able to play Muscala along both of those guys, and now you have floor spacing to be able to run pick and roll, and you get a better idea of what you have in, in Cade Cunningham and everybody else there that you're trying to see. Is it worth committing to? So I understand it. And I do think it's a desperation thing where they look at this and go 3 and 36. Nobody's talking about the Wizards. Nobody's talking about the Hornets. Nobody's really talking about the Blazers. Everyone's talking about the Pistons and how bad they are and how historically bad they are. And this maybe claws them out of that 
just enough to save face. It's the only reason I find it interesting. And to be honest with you, it's kind of a fun storyline now for me with Detroit. Are they going to pick up seven wins in the back half of the season? Uh, I'm going to have my eyes locked on that. The other piece of news that happened, the Chicago Bulls introduced the Ring of Fame uh, to honor their past uh, history and all these great players. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, not in attendance for this event. But what happened was Jerry Krause's widow was there. They announced Jerry Krause. And the entire stadium viciously booed. It wasn't just a little boo. It was a big one. I saw legs on Twitter. You were upset with the response from the crowd. My take on it is that crowds are pretty predictable in how they're going to respond to things. You kind of know. I actually am more bothered by the Chicago Bulls and how they handled that event. You knew the crowd was going to, oh, you put his face up there. They're going to boo. You have the widow there. You cut to her and she is absolute shambles. I actually am more bothered with the Bulls operations than I am with Chicago Bulls fans, which look, fans like to boo. They like to cheer. They like to boo. I guess, I guess I'm coming at it from a couple different perspectives. Number one, I played against those teams in the nineties, right? So I know, I know what they accomplished yeah. during that decade. We all do. And Jerry Krause had a big, big hand in that. Okay. Now there's, there's a lot of different reasons why people feel the way they do. And he certainly wasn't uh, depicted very in a very flattering way in the last dance. And right. I, that, that formed a lot of people's opinion of him that didn't really know much about the behind the scenes story and stuff. But again, that was, that whole thing was created from a particular slant, from a particular right. point of view, right? So you have to always view it that way. My, my problem with this is twofold. Number one, I don't think, and you know, look, this is just me, subjective, my opinion. I don't think I've ever booed at a sporting event in my life. Really? Okay. Never. I, and I listen. I, I'm a I'm a Commanders fan. You know, going back Redskins. <laughs> obviously, glory days growing up. Okay, I mean that you should have booed more legs, right? But I didn't have to. When I was growing up because we were good all the time, right? But so then, That's but true. then look at all the lean years. There's a couple decades of really bad football, and me going down there, driving sometimes you know seven hour round trip to game day to go to these games from New Jersey down to DC, get back up there, see a bad football game. Um, and you know, yeah. you only have eight or nine home games a year. And, and, but I still, I never saw the point of it. It really doesn't affect athletes. You're not affecting anything. You know, you're showing your displeasure, I guess, at either effort or poor performance, whatever it may be. I just never got it. I just don't understand why people think that that somehow is going to have some sort of an impact or you're just expressing yourself. So that, that's first. Okay. So I don't understand that in general, but here's the thing that really bothers me. Why do people hold on to now? In some cases, some of these younger fans that were at the game and started booing probably don't even know anything about Jerry Krause. No, nope. they heard nope. some other people booing that were yep. fans during that era, right? And oh, this guy's yep. boo! Like anybody in authority gets booed, right? Every time a commissioner comes out to award somebody, anytime yep. you bring out a team it's executive, booed. it's boo, right? For the most part, yeah. I, okay, that's just I guess the mentality. I don't understand on a night that is honoring the greatest decade, right? And basically in the history of your franchise, and it certainly right. hasn't been very good since that ended right. for the Chicago Bulls, that you would still hold on to that venom and vitriol on a night when it's supposed to feel good. We're honoring a, a team and a group of guys and a group of people that were responsible for delivering that much winning to the city. And we haven't seen it out of this franchise since why are you still holding on to that? And that's the part that I don't get. Now, look, here's what I'll say about the, the visual of Jerry Krause's widow. And we all saw it. 
She was visibly shaken and upset by that. She's sitting there. She's dressed up beautifully, and she's trying to come and and be part of this. They're honoring the team, and yeah. and you know, obviously her 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 late husband. That was rough. I don't. But here's the thing. I, I I think what probably happened was people weren't aware necessarily even probably that she right. was there. Okay. No, no. All of a sudden they're putting they're putting the different players I'm sure up on the scoreboard up on the you know the, this big screen for everybody to see, and then boom, Jerry Krause's picture shows up. And because this is the mentality around Jerry Krause and the mentality with he's an executive, boo, now it rattles her. And that's the visual we're all going to take from it. I don't yep. think they were intentionally trying to hurt Jerry Krause's no widow. Way. No but way. they certainly did. And what yep. it did was bring to light how painful holding on to that kind of venom can be, particularly when they're honoring greatness they're honoring winning they're right. honoring championships that's what the whole thing was about and you're still holding on to all this bitterness and by proxy affecting a human being to the extent that right. you did that was just a terrible thing to see and for me yeah i i had some strong words on social media about it and because it really bothered me and i just don't understand the mentality of fans yeah. particularly when you had that much success like what are you so mad about with Jerry Krause. Somebody explain it. Though. I don't think they were mad. Again, fans go to the arena, to the stadiums, to let emotions out. Cheers, boos, whatever. And they just saw a moment to boo and it turned ugly. I Again, for me, I, I just think this is a operations uh, mistake for not knowing how a crowd would, would react and, and, and handling it how they did. But nonetheless, it was noteworthy from over the weekend because it was such a, um, sure. you know, it's just such a big story, such a big moment. Um, and it was because such an unfortunate thing. But let's get into some of these games because I want to talk some hoops now. Um, and there were two games last night that I thought were particularly interesting. The Timberwolves hold on. They almost collapse, but they hold on to get a 109-105 win over the Clippers. This was in Minnesota. They led by as many as 17. They even led big late. They collapsed a little bit down the stretch. But what was your big takeaway when you watched this game? Uh, what stood out to you? I think the thing that stood out the most was like, first of all, this is a really, really good win big win for minnesota yep. because and despite the fact that it got a little sloppy because they controlled this game and there was no 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 two ways about yep. it particularly the pretty much the entire second half and and as we see all the time in the league now these, like these late runs get made sometimes you know you blow the lead so when you end up holding on you kind of forget about that and you just feel good about the fact that you won against a red hot really good super talented team with everybody playing except zubach so you look at this win for Minnesota, what I, what I take from it is they won it at a pace that looks more like a late-round playoff game. It was Ooh. a physical game. It was two really good defenses guarding each yeah. other. There was a lot of contact on the perimeter. There was contact in the post. Like stuff you don't see every night in the NBA anymore. Both teams were doing it. And our question has been about Minnesota, do they have enough offense – to win games like that. Like, do, do you have enough to get to that number, even if your defense is great? And this right. one, they had enough because their defense was that good. And the Clippers, this team has been absolutely destroying people and with their offense, and they weren't really able to get going. And Minnesota's front line and their size really mattered. The length yep. on the perimeter mattered. And then finally, Anthony Edwards was the best player on the floor. He was the best player on the floor, which is a big statement. When you look at the way Kawhi's been playing, Paul George, James Harden's yep. been playing great. 
Um, and Anthony Edwards was the guy. He was the guy. And it, I thought it was a statement win, honestly, for Minnesota to beat a team in the Clippers that looked like a team that could cause some real damage here in the West. And maybe, who knows, maybe even get to the finals, potentially. And the Minnesota Timberwolves handled them in the midst of their hot streak. So I was pretty impressed overall with Minnesota won a slugfest, physical game played to their pace, and they dictated terms to the Clippers, and they never really let up. They didn't allow that yeah. big run with a barrage of three-point shooting that this league sees all the time to ever happen. I agree with you. I was very impressed with Minnesota. And this is not beyond what you just said. This is a very possible second round matchup, right? Minnesota yeah. right now in the one, the Clippers in the four. And if I were projecting forward, it's too early to really say with confidence where teams are going to wind up. But I think the Timberwolves are the most likely team to be number one. And I think the Clippers are the most likely team to be the four. So this was a good peek inside. And Paul George was five of 19. Kawhi Leonard was nine of 19. James Harden was four of 14. That's your big three, and all of them had bad shooting nights. And watching the game, I don't think that was just an off night. I think that was incredible perimeter defense. When we talked earlier in the year about the Minnesota Timberwolves, we talked about Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a, a big guy for me because he adds an extra perimeter defender to their roster. And then, of course, you have McDaniels, who was able to play 35 minutes with only two fouls in this game, Mike Conley. So they matched up and were able to defend on the perimeter. I thought a phenomenal job. The point of attack defense in this one from Minnesota was phenomenal. And then, as you mentioned, the bigs inside, Rudy Gobert in particular, cleaning up the glass, 18 boards and dominating. But the interesting moment was the Clippers tried to go small. They started Daniel Tice. They didn't have Zubats. And they did play a, a good amount of minutes with uh, Mason Plumley, but they tried in these little pockets to go small against Minnesota's big lineups, and they got killed in those minutes. And that's what's interesting to me is if you're Minnesota, you don't really have the small ball option. And if teams go small ball, it's going to be, can you stop them? This is just one game, but they dominated their strength, size in the paint. They dominated that matchup in the moments where that mattered. No, and that's going to be their calling card. That's what differentiates them. Um, and that's what makes them so interesting. That's why they had the kind of year that they had, have had. Uh, they, they look different than most teams in this league do in what they present defensively. And it, you're right. Like, this wasn't a situation where guys just had off nights. That happens in the NBA. If you really right. watch the game and watch the level at which Minnesota's perimeter players were competing to, yep. to you know, contest time your jumps at the same time those guys were leaving the floor, fighting around ball screens so guys aren't walking into a mid-range pull-up. I just thought the effort level was phenomenal. And it, I think that they felt this is a barometer game for us because even though we've had a great year to this point, you're talking about a team right now in the Clippers that have gotten a lot of attention over the last few weeks for how well they have come together, how fluid they look, they are a team that can beat you on either end of the floor, and there's not many in this league that can. The Clippers are one of them, and yet Minnesota really didn't have a problem guarding them, and they did what they needed right. to do on the other side with, with their size and their offensive rebounding. Um, it was just – I thought it was one of the one of the more physical, like playoff-looking games that I've seen this year. Definitely was. And I – and. I think that the Timberwolves, because they've had a really tough schedule and have dropped a couple close games, the overtime game in Boston, it's almost disguised like, okay, they had a hot start, but they've cooled off. I don't know that they've cooled off. I think they've had a couple balls bounce the wrong way on the road against very good teams. 
But then you see games like this where, again, it's a four-point game, but this was a 17-point game with about 10 minutes to go. Um, they, they really outclassed the Clippers for most of it. And then another thing I thought of while I was watching this, because the Timberwolves did blow this game with some bad play. Yeah. Gobert was 7 of 14 from the foul line, and late in yeah. the game, he I think he closed it out with 3 of 4. And it made me wonder, okay, so you go up big ball versus small ball, and you manage to use your strength, still defend and, and, and own the paint. But what about late games? I think teams are going to hack a Gobert late in games in the playoffs, especially teams like this that feel um, you know, that they're going to get points, that they're going to keep scoring. All right, go to Gobert, and let's just see if he runs cold. And he ran really cold this whole game until the clutch, and he knocked down a couple clutch ones. But last night was the game that made me think, Gobert is going to get the hack-a-shack treatment in the playoffs. Do you agree? I do. And he, you know, think about it, this, is a, this was always a problem when he was in Utah. Like, you know, yeah. getting him off the floor at important times in the game, not either because of the foul situation or there were other situations where – Teams would put five perimeter players out there. Five, you know, had five legitimate three point shooters, and he had no one to guard. And because yeah. he loves to kind of hang back below the foul line, and he wants to meet people at the rim and be that deterrent back there. And they'd have to get him off the court because they just did not have a way to guard the three point line when he was on the floor defensively. And it, it hurts because of how much he gives you from an offensive rebounding standpoint too. So I do think that that's something to keep an eye on with this team because it was always a factor I felt like in Utah. It was always something we were talking about in in important moments in playoff games. Now, fortunately for them, they've got depth at that spot with Nas Reed. So they they can go and they can give a different look. I mean, Nas Reed's one of the best backup bigs in this league. And and he's not Rudy Gobert – in terms of, of you know rim deterrence, but right. he's very athletic and quick-footed on the perimeter, even more so than Carl Anthony Towns. So he can do some other things that are switchable where he can jump out late. He can make a three-point shot on the other end. He can space the floor. So they do have really good depth at the position if that's what they choose to do. But I, I definitely think it's a strategy teams will be able to employ against Minnesota, and it's now it's going to be up uh, to them to figure out how they're going to handle those moments. Nice. In this game, did you see it? It was it was like a uh, split two defenders inside out, throws it between the two defenders, grabs it, and then finishes. And it's like that's a total guard move. Even among centers, we talk about like Embiid and some of these guys, Carl Anthony Towns, that have good fluidity and stuff. Nas Reed really, I think, has the most fluidity. He uses it in a very specific way, off the dribble moves and stuff. But he is so fluid with it. Let me ask you before we get out of this segment the title question, which is. Is bully ball now superior to small ball? We had a good run where the death lineups and you had all of these. We're going to play in the clutch. We know we're going to put a small guy at, at center and now we're going to run teams off the off the line. But you look at Denver, you look at Minnesota, um, you look at teams like the Pelicans even. They play big ball. They have big guys, two big front court players. And then you have teams like the Suns and the Thunder, the Clippers who want to play small, the Mavs. Those are small ball. When you look at the landscape, do you think it's a situation-by-situation basis, or do you think that bully ball maybe is superior to small ball now? I think I think your point is 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 good in that it's it's there are more teams now that aren't necessarily locked into trying to play one of those smaller lineups to try to win a game. Yeah. But I do think it's personnel driven for each team. Each team's going to handle that differently. 
Um, you know, we've seen a renaissance of of the big in this league over the last half dozen years, and and you know, Jokic is a big part of that. Embiid's a big part of that. Um, th- th- you're seeing now teams start to value that a little bit more in the ways that you can attack. You know, even a guy like Zion Williamson is really, for all intents and purposes, a center. The way that he scores and the way that he can beat you and his efficiency with finishing in the paint. Um, so I think the the big is a little bit more valued than it was, and I think it's going to be personnel driven team by team. I don't think that you can make a blanket statement because there are some teams that's going to benefit them still to go small, particularly well, in those situations. But let's go to the, the two big ones. It's Minnesota and Denver. Both of those teams, do you feel that they have overcome that small ball is not an option to beat both of those two, those two specifically? Uh, not necessarily Minnesota. Definitely Denver. Okay. You can't you can't do it because of Jokic. You just can't do it. It's a joke what he will do to you, trip after trip after trip. And it's it's not like they're gonna they're gonna uh, you know cater to you defensively by going away from Jokic and then by their right. own doing right. and their own volition they hurt themselves. No, Jokic will will pound you every single trip if that's what you want to do. And there's just no answer for it. Because you're going to have to bring an extra guy, and now he's picking you apart with his passing. And if you don't, it's a joke how easily he scores on anybody that's like six, eight, and under. It's it's just not even fair what he does because he gets the shot he wants every single time. I don't have the same faith in Minnesota and the way they operate offensively, and the fact that yeah. hmm. your bigs are not your primary scoring option. Anthony Edwards is. So, right. so he's got the ball and he's going to be attacking. There are times there's going to be possessions. He's going to shoot the ball without anybody else even touching it because he is the primary driving force of their offense. So it, it, you can you can get bailed out on some possessions if Carl Anthony Towns or Gobert don't touch it. That's not the case with Denver. Their big guy is their driving force. He's going to yeah. touch it. And if he's got a smaller guy on him, it's game over. Aaron Gordon too. It just says if you go small, oh, then you're one. really yeah. small at power forward. Now you're yeah. you're short at two positions, and Aaron Gordon just so good at that exact thing as well, uh, taking advantage. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, Dame time arrived for the first time this year. Damian Lillard with a walk off three in Milwaukee. We're gonna break down that game. Shouldn't have been as close. We just talked about collapses late in the game. That was a game that featured not one but two collapses. I think both teams should be kicking themselves for losing that one. So we'll get to it on the other side. But first, I want to tell you guys about Factor Meal Kits. Get started on your resolution this year with Factor Meal Kits so you're ready for the new year. I always start about this time. Birthdays in the rearview mirror. You got to start getting, it's never too early to start getting your summer body in shape. So I start doing a little bit more meal planning, a little bit more working out, a little bit trying to stick to a regimen. Factor Meal Kits makes that easy. They've got those great shakes that you could use for the morning, and then they have over 35 meals per week to choose from. You hop on their website. When you get signed up for a plan, you just hop on their website every week. Instead of meal prep, you just go in there and say, okay, this is the meals I want. They send them straight to your door, and then you have it for the week. No planning, no second guessing. You know you have a meal ready for you as soon as you get home. They have those 35 options and they have a bunch of different dietary options. So you can do keto, you can do vegan, you can do vegetarian, calorie smart, a lot of different options on there, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's really good. Only takes about two minutes in the microwave to make them and they're really high quality meals. This isn't the TV dinners of 20, 30 years ago. These are really high quality chef inspired meals. So head to factormeals.com slash all MBA 50 and use code all MBA 50 to get 50% off. It's an easy code. 
50% off is a huge discount. It's, I think, the biggest one we have from any of our sponsors. All NBA 50. So that's factormeals.com slash all NBA 50 to get 50% off. Also, want to tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook. We had a great NFL slate over the weekend. I was making all kinds of bets. I was betting on almost every single drive for that uh, the first half of that uh, Lions game. That was a phenomenal first half, scoring on every single possession. Football playoffs, one of the most fun things to bet, or you just want to continue to bet basketball, is this is a time where every team is, I think it's easiest to bet the NBA in January and February because teams are more consistently what they're supposed to be. So right now, you could sign up with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, and bet just $5 on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. That's a $5 bet that brings you 200 instantly in bonus bets, whether you win or whether you lose. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use pro promo code ALLNBA, and then you get that deal. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire in 68 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, legs. The other game that happened yesterday that was of intrigue was that the Milwaukee Bucks got up pretty big on the Sacramento Kings in the fourth quarter and then completely collapsed down the stretch as this game went to overtime. Or maybe you say the Sacramento Kings made a great comeback to force it to overtime. Then the Sacramento Kings grabbed a lead in overtime and could put it away at the foul line, not once but twice. Malik Monk goes 0 for 2 from the foul line. De'Aaron Fox goes 1 of 2 and leaves the door open for Damian Lillard to hit about a 30-foot running three-pointer and close this game out on a buzzer beater. That was my big note from this one is one, not a lot of defense in the game. And two, both teams' execution when they had chances to just end the game was really poor. These two teams are almost made for each other. Yeah, this was one of those games where multiple times for each team, I thought they had it locked up. And you yeah. really didn't you really didn't know anything because of what you're saying. It was a combination of things for both teams. Free throw shooting, missed free throw shooting, played a major role in this game for both yeah. for both teams. Giannis's inability to make one late in regulation yep. keeps him up two instead of three. That allows De'Aaron Fox to then make a driving layup with one second left in, in, in a situation where you know Giannis was kind of riding his hip, jumps but doesn't want to foul him, so he doesn't really right. fully extend to block it. And De'Aaron Fox right. gets a fairly easy running you know layup off the glass. To tie the game, send it overtime, but it was set up by Giannis's missed free throw. Now go to overtime, exact reverse happens. The Kings miss three out of four with Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox going to the line. I mean, the two guys you'd want at the foul line, no. they yep. combine to go three out of four with misses uh, in, in that situation, two different possessions that allows Milwaukee. It's, look, if, if they make the last free throw, uh, Damian Lillard or make the one he makes one out of two at the end. If he makes both free throws, that shot Lillard hits, even if everything plays out the same way, it's only going to send it to overtime again. So the fact that the Kings missed a free throw late, right before that, Darren or Malik Monk missed two free throws, gives the Milwaukee Bucks a chance. And then finally, that last possession, something interesting happened. 
Sacramento makes the free throw. Damian Lillard took the ball out of bounds. Yep. Throws it in. And why that's important, he then was able to get the ball back running up the floor. And he catches the ball, and now he takes two, three dribbles. He gets over half court, makes an incredible shot. It's 35 feet. He's drifting left. Sabonis gets a hand up, and he bottoms it out to win the game. But if Damian Lillard, like most guards in that situation, if that's who you're trying to get it into in the backcourt, he's probably going to be denied the ball to the point that he's running back toward the baseline. So he catches yeah. it, and now he's got to turn, and all his momentum is basically stopped, and he's probably you know 50 feet to get into scoring range. And totally different scenario. So and I don't know if that was like by design. Ball goes to that. He kind of just grabbed it, flipped it in, and they got it back on the dead run up the floor that enabled him to have enough momentum to get into that shot um, and, and, and knock down a three to win the game. So it was a really, really strange game. You feel like Milwaukee was the team that was supposed to win, and they did. So I guess the basketball gods here right. justice. They had an eight-point lead with three and a half minutes to go in the game. And they and they yeah. get gag it up. And Sacramento made a couple big shots. But that we have an eight point lead three and a half minutes ago. You usually have more to do with it than the other team, and in what you're yeah. not getting done offensively. So it felt like it was the Bucks game, um, and that's why Damian Lillard, I guess, winning it in that fashion. It seemed apropos. What was funny about it to me was this game was hilariously paced. It just it was an extremely fast game, and the transition defense from both teams in this game I thought was almost laughable i think yeah this game was at 103 possessions which is you know about five possessions more which doesn't feel like a lot but that means there was a lot of transition and it was easy transition there was just so many times where it was made basket take it out of the hoop and there's a bucket on the other end and just to keep a few seconds both of these teams oh look they're both good at transition scoring and bad at transition defense but that's how you get to a 143 142 and we're a bit of a broken record here with milwaukee but that's what scares yeah. you about them is, yes, they won this yeah. game, but they always make it as hard as possible on themselves because they don't have the easy thing, the easy stuff. Just shut off transition, and we're going to probably win this one by 10. They just don't seem to have that in them uh, once again. Something else jumped out to me in this one, Adam, that they now they've played this particular type of defense for several years with the drop coverage with Brooke Lopez where anytime his man is setting a screen – He's 10 feet yeah. off the screener most times back in the lane. They play this coverage a lot. I hate drop coverage. Um, it became this, this thing over the last few years. It's very much like what teams try to do now, put their big guy back in the lane and see if you know more great shooters than we've ever had this league can make a pull-up 18-footer uncontested. It's crazy to me. Yeah. But here's what's different about them doing it this year, and I really noticed it in this game. They got annihilated on it. Okay, and the reason is because the guys that are on the ball in the past, whether it was a Drew Holiday, he he's still physical enough to get over that pick, even though he's got no help at the point right. of attack. low ten feet back, he's still kind of making the guard feel his presence because he gets low, he gets around it, he still maintains a little bit of contact. They know he's going to come from behind and swipe over the top, and it's kind of in your head. As you go to pull up, the Drew Holiday is still pursuing you because the, that's just the way he plays. Chris Middleton was more of a factor defensively when his guy was setting those screens and Brooke Lopez's was dropped back in the paint because he's six foot eight and he chased around a screen. He'd come from over the top. He'd bother guys. Well, he wasn't playing last night, but even when he has played, he's not the impact defensively that he was. So the drop coverage 
and I, maybe I, you know, I should have been making notes of this all year. I was really watching it last night because it was so obvious to me that it was such an easy way for Sacramento to score. And that's when I started yeah. realizing, well, wow, that's why. It doesn't look the same, the guys that are chasing the ball downhill from behind the way that it did in the past. And I just thought Malik Monk and Darren Fox kind of did what they wanted to do. Anytime they got a ball screen, they got exactly the shot that they wanted in that foul line area. Um, and it's yeah. it's something you – know, and again, you say beating the point. It is. We talk about it all the time with the Bucs. They're just a team defensively, I think, that are very, very vulnerable to be beaten or to be upset in the playoffs. Um, and I thought this was no. a team absolutely guaranteed Eastern Conference final team. I'm not completely sure about that anymore. I'm definitely skeptical of it, but you're right. They keep winning and we keep criticizing the same thing. So part of me, like I want to cut a little slack because they are, I know people did this to Denver for years and years and it always drove me nuts. They're winning. So you have to put it in context and they hit 23s last night. They hit 23s at a pretty good rate um, in the Pacers, the Mavs, the Celtics, the Bucks. They all seem to get that, that 18, 19, 23 pointers. They're capable of doing it. And so they have nights like, like last night, but something happened in this game that I'd never seen before legs after the game. Mike Brown, who was thrown out of the game, you know, during it, brought a laptop. He brought a tele. He looked like Tim Legler up there on the stand doing the telestrator. <laughs> you know, this looked like Sports Center, man. I thought I was watching Eleven O'clock Sports Center. He brought the the laptop out to highlight some of the fouls that he got thrown out for because of the things that he wanted. And I got to be honest with you, I agree with him. Referees have yeah. been at the heart of so much of the conversation this year, and I hate it because I don't like talking about officials. But I do like yeah, talking about the way the league is officiated. And he was highlighting, and I think Damian Lillard is actually the offender number one of one of the plays Mike Brown was highlighting, which was there was somebody had like a hand on a hip or something like this, and he takes it off as soon as Dame goes into the shooting motion, but they call a foul on it. And I'm sitting here thinking, Dame, his shot hits the side of the backboard, not even, a, you know, He's not really trying to shoot. He's just trying to throw it up there and get the foul. And I hate that in today's NBA, that is a foul that is allowed to be called. Uh, had no impact on his ability to drive and maneuver. Had no impact on the shot. But Dame, of all players, is so good at forcing you, him and Chris Paul, you better have your hands behind your back when you're trying to guard him around a screen because if your hands are not on him but just out, he'll find a way to rip to the side or jump to the side or stop. And so that's what he was complaining about. Hilarious that he brought out his laptop, but at least I kind of agree. I like that he's bringing up this, what are we doing with these dumb calls on the perimeter? Yeah, and you know, Mike Brown is a guy that you, you, know, you just don't see him get that animated to that extent very often, man. So he had, he had had his limit. And I guarantee you this wasn't even something that necessarily was all just taking place in that particular game. This is something that's probably been going through his mind for a while, and this was the perfect yep. storm for it to happen and for him to unleash. I agree with you. And ironically, the guys you're mentioning, I'll throw another one in there, Trey Young. Trey Young's another yeah. guy that absolutely murders you coming off those screens and timing up the contact and the start-stop, make you run into him from behind. Or if he feels any sort of contact on his hip or his left side of his body, he'll just jump into the air and flail. And the league was trying to, you know, trying to legislate that out of the game, but yet it's I feel like it's still a part of what's going on on a nightly basis. Um, and I think that's I think they I, I'm going to hold up. I'm going to disagree with you because I think they made a point of emphasis. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before where it's like, okay, we're going to make a point of emphasis for this. And that point of emphasis lasted two months. If you fast right. forward, we're going to talk about this in a second. The best defense five years ago would be the worst uh, would be, or I'm sorry, the worst defense five years ago would be about average. Now 
offenses have just kept going up and up and up. And I think a large part of it is teams just don't know how to guard the perimeter legally anymore. And that's part of what he was getting at is if that's a foul, how do we guard anybody? Right. And that's what that's and that's that's kind of what I think most players feel like. And that's why you're seeing the scores that you see every night, Adam. That's why that's why the scoreboards are just lighting up every night, you know, at a record pace on a nightly basis. You get a 10 game slate. It's like you feel like, you know, 80 percent of the teams are getting over 120, 130 points. It's because of that. And look, it's a combination of you can't really touch guys. You're worried about touching guys at all. And they're more skilled than they've ever been. There are more skilled shot makers on the court at one time than this league has ever had. And we can't really do anything to impede their progress. And you get that. So it, it, you know, it is what it is. And I think Mike Brown, he was reacting to, to a trend that he has been seeing yeah. over a period of time because he's just not – that's just not his way yeah. um, to go about that and and to get thrown out. I thought it was hilarious that he brought the laptop because, you know, <laughs> what better way to have visual proof of what you're talking about um, than to bring it right up there yeah. and show people. I The only problem was it's kind of a small screen, you know. It was right, a little exactly. bit of a small screen. Yeah. I think we got to get – he's got to get a monitor next time. Bring out – Right. A little laser pointer. I think you go all in. You know, I mean, he got ejected early enough. He could have put together a PowerPoint presentation yeah. or something back in the <laughs> locker room and really, you know, blows people away with his presentation. Yeah, I, I'm pro. You know what? I hope this becomes a try. I don't even think he's going to get fined because I don't think he was critiquing the officiating or this or that in a way that gets you fined. I think he was highlighting a broader thing, and so I'm curious. But I am. I think my official statement is I am pro coaches bringing the telestrator to the press conference. I think that's a trend that I can get behind. Um, All right. We're going to make, we're at the halfway point of the season. Let's make a couple bold statements or somewhat bold statements that are bold that we would not have made maybe at the start of the season. These are things that I feel that we know halfway through the year that we didn't know. You agree with some of these I know, but I don't know if you agree with all of them. I'm going to start here. The Draymond Clay era is over in Golden State. I don't know if that means there's a trade coming legs. Tonight, by the way, Draymond Green makes his return to the lineup against the Memphis Grizzlies on the road in Memphis, uh, which is kind of a hilarious team for him to come back against since they've had a history in the past. But whether he comes back and is good, whatever it is, it's just the ride is over for the Warriors. They might claw back into the play-in, which they're two games out right now of the play-in, of the 10 seed in the play-in. But whatever it is, I just think their their ceiling now is low enough for me to say that that era is over. Interesting, because I think okay. So here's how I would interpret that. So you're are you saying one that you think that they actually do like break this up one, which I don't because I don't think that'll happen. And then the second part of it is what what does that mean? Like the, that the the run is over. Like there's no more relevance, which I guess would mean for me. Are they ever going to have a second round playoff appearance in them? Are they ever going to be, you know, a conference finalist? Because you don't necessarily have to say like definitively, you know, you know, they, they have to win a championship. Like that means that they're still relevant in the mix. No, that's not true. I mean, teams can keep yeah. guys together and still win at a high level and be in the mix for a few more years. I'm not sure that the Curry, Clay, Draymond, the, the, that trio of guys, I'm I'm not sure yet that I'm ready to throw dirt on it completely and say that they will never be beyond a first-round playoff team um, yeah. with those three guys on the roster. And that's how I would interpret what you're saying. 
I'm not quite ready to go there. I might be one of the last people you're going to find yeah. sort of holding on to that little glimmer of hope. And it's really ma mainly built around Steph. And you're saying, though, is that enough? Is Steph enough anymore that we know he's playing great? Is that enough for him to be – for that team to be able to make a little run? When I say it's over, what I mean – and your, your computer might have froze their legs. You might have to back out and come back in – the when i say it's over i mean that they are done competing for a title they either will break up or they will stay together but not be in contention does that mean they win a playoff round and upset here or there i think that is possible but i don't think that they will ever be a team that we say man they could have won it i think the, the days of them being able to have could have won it are probably in the rearview mirror um let's see if my legs tries to get his uh computer back here Looks like he might be frozen trying to get in. Let's see. Um, I'll just throw out a couple of these next ones. For me, the top tier teams, I, I have six of them that I will consider in the top tier. I don't know if I would have had all six of these, and I might have had one or two more at the start that I've taken out. But for me, it is Boston, Denver, Minnesota, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and the Clippers. I definitely didn't have the Clippers in there at the start of the year. I don't think I had Minnesota in there at the start of the year. But I feel comfortable now saying that all of those teams, to me, are uh, in the top tier. So the teams that didn't make it into the top tier, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who I think are in that next one, the way I would define the top tier for me personally is teams that I would be not be surprised if they won. If you told me either of those teams won the championship, I would not be surprised. If you told me the Thunder won this year, I would be surprised. Not because I don't think they have a bright future, and not that I don't think they're great, I would just be surprised that they went all the way through to winning a championship, winning four rounds, and got all the way there. I think they're a great team. I think they're going to compete, but I would be surprised. It's still possible. So there's a whole other tier. There's like the top tier for me is you're not surprised if they win. The second tier is you would be surprised if they win. And then the third tier would be they can't win. I don't think they have a chance of winning. The Thunder to me are in that next tier. And the Miami Heat, by the way, are in. Well, so I know the Miami Heat, the New York Knicks, they've been playing really well, but um, they would be in a separate tier for me. So, Legs, I just said the top six teams to me. I have six teams in a tier that I would say I would not be surprised if they won. That's how I'm defining my top, my most top tier. And it is Boston, Denver, Minnesota, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and the Clippers. If any of those teams won, I would not be surprised. Whereas the next team in that bunch would be the Thunder. And if they won, I would be surprised. Mm. All right. Are you, you, when you say won, you mean won the whole thing? Yeah, won the championship. We're halfway okay. through and I have six I, I would, teams. I, would, I, would I don't know if I could, would go six deep on that. I don't know that I would can say I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Philly won it. I think that would surprise me if Philly won okay. the whole thing. Um, and then I also probably feel that way about Minnesota. I don't know that I can see Minnesota winning the whole thing. Really? Um, I no, I I don't know that you go. I don't know that you. That yeah. There there seems to be a level of progression that yeah. typically takes place with this thing. And right. you know, to go with from from really very little playoff success at all to winning a championship when there's this Multiple many round. quality teams, right? And and you know, I think the West is probably deeper in terms of the number of 
really interesting, relevant teams than we've ever seen. Now, part of mm. that might be, am I holding on to things like the Warriors and the Lakers? And yeah, they, cause they, they look terrible some nights, but it's because of who they are that I'm including them. I'm, I'm not sure, but, but I look at, I look at Denver, I look at Minnesota, Oklahoma city, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Mavericks, the Suns. I mean, it's so deep. And so to think Minnesota could traverse that, like all those landmines when they've had very little playoff success at all, that yeah. would surprise me. I, I completely agree with you. I would not be surprised if Boston won it. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, though, I'm starting to get closer to saying I'd be surprised if Milwaukee won it. That their yeah, defense, I know. It's true. Night after night. That's why right now for me, I mean, I'm really looking at Boston. I'm looking at Denver. And I actually think the Clippers – might be the third team I put on there as the most likely and viable team that I could see winning it. I I think though I would almost put those three teams in a different category. And and actually maybe I just put Boston and Denver alone on the top shelf and then the Clippers on the second shelf all by themselves. And then a number of teams on the third shelf. I think that's probably how I would do it. That's an interesting one for me. Minnesota, I just have a lot more faith in, and I I just think they're a really good team. You're right about the prove-it factor. That's a big one. But teams like the Clippers, outside of Kawhi Leonard, have any of those guys proven it? I mean, we're talking about now you're starting to give Harden and Westbrook and Paul George. They have playoff experience, but not necessarily like, you know, noteworthy playoff experience. So I don't know. It's an interesting question halfway through. I do think that there's just a lot of teams that are at least, at the very least, you would say you would be only somewhat surprised, rather than completely floored. I think at least, I don't want to put words in your mouth, you might be surprised if Minnesota won it, but you wouldn't be floored. It's not like if the Houston Rockets won it, you would be floored. Correct. It's not like they're coming out of nowhere. Yeah, but I'm just, I guess I have some skepticism to think that you could take that leap and win three Four rounds because you're talking about it would be, right. I assume yeah. for me, Boston at the end of it. But first, you got to yeah. get through three really difficult rounds in the West. Um, when you haven't really been, you know, been in that position where you've got to, you know, make big shots to close series out, like, and in those moments, yeah. I think there are some question marks around them. And look, would I be, you know, just absolutely jaw hit the floor? No, if they made it to the finals, but if they made all, all the way to finals and beat Boston. I think I would be pretty stunned by that. Um, yeah. I, I just think I just think Boston. It looks like their year, uh, and I think it's Boston and Denver. If I had to lay money on it today, I'm expecting to see those two teams meet in the finals. We can go quick on this next one because I don't know how interesting it is. But for me, another thing, I, I feel like I know is that time's up in Atlanta. Atlanta oh, had a nice run to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years back. They retooled. They you know you pick up Dejounte Murray, but they are currently the 11 seed. Um, right in, in front of Toronto. I almost put Toronto on this list as another team where the time is up, but I'm just going to stick to Atlanta. They've been rumored to be trying to trade DeJounte Murray. I look at them and I go, they might need a full-on reset because I don't know that there is a one-move pivot for them. I just think time is up. I Listen, I think you're 100% right, and I think the, the dilemma they have is they have to view their roster with in, in reality and is Trey Young a winning player? Is Trey Young the kind of guy that you can really win with and he's your best player. And and he's that ball dominant and a guard that size, taking that many shots and the way that runs his offense. He's obviously super talented and he's very entertaining. They, 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 their problem would be if they make that decision, they want to blow this whole thing up. How do you get somebody that's as box office as Trey Young? Like that's always something that the organization is worried about, but I just don't think this is a winning formula. 
And yeah. I think I look, and I don't necessarily know that Trey Young could be the second guy on any team. Right. I, I just, just think so the way that he plays, it's like his show, his ball, and he could play in Atlanta for you know 10, 12, 15 years. I know they made the one run to the conference finals, but that shouldn't have happened. Like they should not have beaten Philadelphia right. in that series. I mean, with what Ben Simmons the way he melted down right before our eyes and bead was banged up. He didn't play well. They shouldn't have won that series against the Philadelphia 76ers that year. And they make it to the conference finals. And I think people masked over like how hard it is to win with a guard that size as your predominant shot taker, when he's shooting in the low forties from the field every single year, that is a very difficult way to run your offense, but it was masked over that one year. And I think reality is set in the last couple of years you're 100% right. I don't think that this thing's going to go anywhere. I don't know where you'd begin to break this down because I don't know what you do with Trey Young if you wanted to rebuild that way. And as long as you keep him and he plays the same role, have, unless you put Adam, and I don't know if this will work in the modern NBA, what if you put a team around him that looked a lot like the team Allen Iverson had around him in Philadelphia, right? Which is a bunch of hard-nosed defenders, screen setters, offensive rebounders, right? That's what he played with. His second-best offensive player was Aaron McKee that year. Yeah. And you had a bunch of dudes, to Kemi Mutumba protecting the rim, Eric Snow on the ball defense, and George Lynch's of the world. Like, these, this is who they surrounded him with. Let Do whatever you want offensively. We'll protect you defensively. But I don't know that that would work in the modern NBA because of the way the rules are set up. You've got to get to a certain number to win. So I don't know that you yeah. can even put that type of team around Trey Young, but to just roll him out there as your best player and play up and down, pick up basketball the way the league looks, I just don't think he's going to be efficient enough to give you a chance. I don't know if we're going to hear it in the next six weeks. In fact, I would bet we don't. But I do think in the next six months we start to hear the Trey Young you know, conversation heat up with some trades. I mean, he's already been rumored to the Spurs maybe having interest. So it's already out there a little bit, but I think it'll become a, a bigger and bigger storyline here because I just, I think they're stuck where they are. Um, next big statement I have, offense is dominating more than ever and kind of at a rate that's almost frightening. Legs, the Kings, the Sacramento Kings last season had the best offensive rating in the history of NBA. This year, there are seven teams with a better offensive rating than the Kings had last year. So there are currently seven record-setting offenses in the NBA. What does that all mean if everybody's doing it? How impressive is it, is it, can it possibly be? But the Timberwolves, who have a 108 defensive rating in 2019, that would have been averaged. I alluded to that earlier. Offense is king in the NBA right now. And these offenses are, I mean, we can definitively say that the numbers are now so great that I think everybody is faced with just what an outlier it is that these games are 130 every single night. Yeah, and it's it's think about what you're saying with regard to last year's Sacramento Kings team and the number of teams you're talking about this year that are even surpassing that. You know, you know, look at some of the rosters. You're not talking about teams that are laden with like four future Hall of Famers. Right. I mean, the Sacramento Kings Mason. have a really, really yeah. It's what I'm saying. The Indiana Pacers. I know Tyrese Halliburton is a great player, right? And he's a great engine right. and he scores and facilitates, but look at the rest of the roster. Is that a roster right. that you think can average 126 points a game in the NBA right. and have a record setting, you know, offensive rating? And and it's, it, you can say the same thing about the Kings last year. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox, a really good player. He's a perennial all-star caliber guard. Sabonis is not going to overwhelm you with talent, but he comes at you relentlessly, puts up really good numbers every night. And then it's a bunch of role players that were like outcasts from other teams. 
and they break the record for offensive rating. It's and it's it's the way the league is designed. It's the number of three point shots, the way teams are constantly you know designed offensively to get those shots, um, and 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 the pace the pace at which teams want to play and trade baskets. It allows teams that have rosters yeah. that wouldn't indicate they would be that good offensively be able to do things that are historic. That's where we're at right now in the league. I think my next big statement is that the MVP race is wide open. You know, this mm -hmm. wasn't the case maybe three weeks ago, but Embiid got hurt, yeah. and now he's he's up against his game's total. Jokic had a run early on, and now you have newcomers into the conversation, and Luka and Shea, Giannis is still there. I just think at this moment last year, Jokic and Embiid had kind of risen to the top. It became a two-man race, and it was right around now that the – maybe it was in February where the race kind of – tilted in Embiid's favor we know there was the conversations around that but this year I think you look at it and if any of those guys I just mentioned won it I wouldn't be surprised I couldn't have said yeah. that in the last couple of years and you know what's really interesting about the, you know, the names you just mentioned one guy you didn't mention and it, it kind of blows me away because I think what they have done from a team standpoint and who they've added actually yeah. hurts Jason Tatum's chances to win an MVP I think you're right because he's funny? been in the hunt, right? He's gotten votes. He's gotten votes yeah. for the last few years. He he because Boston's had one of the best records in the league every year. Yep. He's their best player. He's basically a 30 point per night type guy. And I think because now they went out and they added Porzingis, they added Holiday, they it's almost like they've given him so much help that now he's viewed like differently, even though his numbers are very similar. And you didn't and you didn't mention his name, and you know why? Because his name's not being mentioned nationally yeah. as an MVP candidate. So I, I agree with you. I think Embiid had firm control of that thing a few weeks ago. He was playing out of his mind. He went down. And, and here's the thing. you know, He's got this persistent swelling in his knee. I don't know how much this is going to affect him the rest of the way. And is yeah. he going to miss time periodically because of this injury? And as a result, it's opened up now for a number of people to be in the mix. I agree with you. As we sit here now at almost the midway point, it feels a little bit more wide open with the, and a number, the, the number of guys in the race, maybe a little bit greater yeah. than we usually see at this time. I got two more for you. This one can be quick, but tanking is back. Tanking is back. We just talked about at the top, the trade the wizards made the wizards are seven and 31 and they made a trade to get worse. Tanking is back in the NBA. The Pistons are tanking. The, the Charlotte Hornets have had some injuries. They're ready to tank. Memphis, you know, some bad luck for them. And now you're starting to see guys take little rest days. I just think we're going to see tanking. And it'll become a bigger storyline, I think, in the final month of the season when you start to look at matchups and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, Memphis is sitting everybody. I just think last year we did not have a tanking problem. This year we're back to having about five teams that are projected to win about 13 games or less. And that is wild. You know what's nuts, too? I can say this from a fan's perspective. All the teams I've loved my entire life and I have passion for, nobody more so than, than my Washington football team. I talk about them all the time. I actually just sat through the first time as a fan in my lifetime a team I rooted for tanking. Yeah. And it is painful, man. It is yeah. painful. They made the decision at about midseason – they knew there was going to be a coaching change at the end of the year. We lost to the Bears and the Giants twice, right? And now it's like, okay, now we're just going to try to secure the highest pick we can. And we ended up with the number two pick in the draft, five of the first hundred picks. But I, I know from a fan's perspective how brutal it was for yeah. me this football season when you're turning on games. That you, and I lost interest for the first time. I didn't have to watch. I didn't want to watch. 
because we're not trying wow. to win. And that's why I feel like some of these NBA teams, like I know, I know Philly went through it for a number of years, and all my friends were fans of that team. And what that must feel like, I'm going, God, that must stink. Yeah. You got a team you root for, and they're they're not even trying to win. I just experienced it. And there are a number of teams in the NBA. You're 100 right. Their fan bases are going through it right now. The big difference, though, is right now you don't know what the payoff is with the NBA because of you know in the NFL you tank enough you're going to get that pick. NBA you don't know exactly what your pick's going to be, and you don't know who's even coming out. So it's so it's so much more vague when you tank in the NBA what the reward is going to be at the end. You want to tank hard enough in football, you're going to end up with a top two or three pick, and you're going to get yeah. one of the top quarterbacks coming out of the draft if that's what you want. In the NBA, it's vague. I don't know who's coming out. I don't even know what pick we're going to have. I just know we're not trying to win right now. It's a brutal place to be, and I think you're right. There are more teams doing it right now than we've seen in recent years. The last one I have for you, I think the first round of the playoffs is going to not just be good. I think it's going to be great, yeah. and I don't know yeah. if I would have said that coming in. Let's look at the top four in the West. Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver, the Clippers. I think that's going to be the top four in the West because I think those are the four best regular season teams. But that means you're going to have road games uh, or road teams are going to be the Pelicans, big-time upset potential if they play well, the Kings, the Mavericks, the Suns, maybe the Lakers if they get it together. Those are some big upset potential heavy hitters that would go on the road. I mean, Luka Doncic can win a series. KD, Booker, Beal, even though they haven't played well, they could win a series. So I think the first round is going to be great. And then you're talking about Minnesota and Oklahoma City, unproven teams carrying that one or two seed label into the first round. There's pressure there. So I just think the first round, that's just the Western Conference. And then if you go to the East, as much as the top of the East is really solid with you know Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami and the Knicks, one of those teams going on the road in the first round, the Pacers who have had the Bucks' number, I just think you're going to get an upset in each conference in the first round. I think the odds of that are very, very high. I completely agree. I, I, I would almost look want to look at the odds on that and lay some money on it because I think there will be a team with in each conference with home court advantage that loses in the first round. And I think it's more true, more certain to happen in the West because yeah, of the teams you're talking about. I mean, if it ended right now, you're talking about the Pelicans, the Kings, the Mavericks, and the Suns going on <laughs> the road. All in. Okay? Going on the road. Those four teams going on the road the first round. Now, you probably have less belief that the Kings could maybe pull off right. that. But when you look at Dallas uh, with yeah. the star power they have, the star power Phoenix has, and the Pelicans having to go on the road in the first round, yeah, I, I think somebody's going to be in trouble, particularly when you got teams at the top, which we talked about at the beginning of the show, that don't have a lot of winning under their belts collectively, right? In the playoffs with Oklahoma City and Minnesota in particular. And now all of a sudden they got a target on them and they're going to host one of the teams I just mentioned. That that is like a scary proposition for those teams. Sacramento dealt with it last year as a three seed and losing at home in the first round because you get yep. the Golden State Warriors and Steph drops a 50 spot in a game seven. So yeah, I mean, this is this is dicey. It's gonna be dicey for those top teams in in the West to all advance. Yeah. So I like it. I think the playoffs are, I mean, it's too early to really be keying in, but I think they're shaping up to have some really good matchups. And I just, there's a lot of teams there's, even though there's a handful of taking teams, there's a lot of teams that can make noise in the playoffs this year. And that's why I think it's kind of an exciting year. Um, all right, Emma hit that outro music, Tim, another great show, a good Monday to get us started. And I don't know, like you said, MLK day, always a big holiday in the NBA. And they always uh, put a bunch of great games on. So we have Pelicans Mavericks tonight. We've got Magic Knicks, which is a very good game. 
We have Spurs Hawks, you know, two tanking teams. That wasn't going to be close. You got uh, Draymond turn. You've got a uh, Thunder Lakers game that I think should be very compelling. So a lot of good games on the docket tonight. Tomorrow's show should write itself. Everybody, do us a favor. Hit the like button on the way out. We'll see you tomorrow.